Hello and welcome to the Riverside Scribe. Today's episode is the first part of a two-part mini-series on world building. Now we won't be getting into too much of the nitty-gritty, but we will be covering all the major aspects of this and going into some depth. Uh, but I will make note that the things going over in this part and in next week's part, the final part of this little mini-series, and the end of season one, a lot of this will be gone over in greater detail, uh, more focus on individual aspects of it, and a different feature in season two as we're going to be getting into a lot more of it and building upon the idea of what we did in the character creation miniseries is to go through and uh, actually use the tools but with a greater understanding that we will be building on and learning uh, using the mechanics and lore that are available. So just for a quick example of what I'm getting at here uh, is in this little mini-series we'll be talking about things like settlements, uh, cultures, factions, these kinds of things. So while for now we'll be going over kind of what they are uh, and the tools in the Dungeons Master Guide on using them and making them, in Season 2 we'll be going through uh, the workings of it, how it all fits into a campaign, what are the styles, and then we will build a mini campaign essentially so we'll be using it and we'll be building it as we go along so it's not being all done at once but after we go over a topic then we will go through and construct that aspect and with the understanding uh, deeper understanding or refresher for those who are very familiar with this material already um, but go through and create these uh, aspects of campaigns and even characters so to get started for today, we're going to start on page 25 of the Dungeon Master Guide. It's in chapter 1, and the section we're looking at is creating a campaign. Now I realize I'm going out of order, uh, but for the purposes of this episode, uh, I feel like starting with our larger scope view and then zooming in on the individual aspects uh, might make it easier to understand why certain things are being taken into effect. And when you are building a campaign, it's always good to, to kind of outline in, in even just general terms or loose ideas of kind of what you want. So start with your scope, kind of if you were making like a, a coloring page, basically you're like, okay, well what, you define the lines that you want the individuals to color in. So you're kind of setting this up for yourself, you know, lying, okay, this is kind of what I want. And then you go through on each individual aspect. So. We're going to start with what the book says, uh, and by no means does this mean you have to follow these every time, but it does help, especially when this is your first time or you're unfamiliar with it. So with what the book goes, uh, it's suggesting to start small. And uh, while in chapter, sorry, in season two, we will go over creating a much larger uh, campaign uh, setting kind of all at once, or at least before it would actually be played. Uh, the way it's being laid out here in the book is to kind of, it says to start small. So to give your players uh, enough in the local area to get started, give them enough information and sense of what's going on that they're, they're hooked, they're engaged, treat it kind of like a TV show or a book. Uh, you want the reader or viewer to be engaged and want to come back for more. You don't want to necessarily start with slow, mundane, completely boring. You want to give them those little hints, those little tidbits, those hooks to to get them like, oh, I really want to 
what's next or like let's let's do this let's charge right in uh, so there are three three things it talks about with creating your local area and it suggests you know to start small so the first one's create a home base and it recommends seeing the settlement section which we'll get into earlier or sorry later uh, so small town or village at the edge of the wilderness serves as a fine home base in most D&D campaigns use a larger town or city if you want to campaign with urban adventuring uh, so this is kind of like and a reason a lot of campaigns kind of start in oh they meet in a tavern so it's it's a common theme it's one location it can be found almost anywhere so it's an easy copy and paste start point not saying you have to do it and some people are sick and tired of it uh, but pick and again i will say this not every character at the beginning of the game necessarily has to start like in the exact same room or or setting you could have it kind of like where they're in let's say a small town or village and and then something brings them together uh, so it says create this uh, home base so this start point then it says create a local region so this gets into the mapping which again we'll go over and so you start to build out the area and then you start with like the hooks and ways to get them into the adventure because you want you won't necessarily want to throw them right in the fire right away but you want to give them a taste of what's out there so they'll want to explore and so the book also goes into uh, to give them enough that they want to come back and then you can build upon this now that's great you can do it where it's also the book stays like doing it kind of episodic where the only really reoccurring thing is the players now you can have various themes and other plot lines going through depending on how detailed you want to be uh, but you could run it where it's kind of each session's a new adventure or uh, a particular quest goes on for a few sessions and then while you're in the middle of running that one uh, or in between that last session of that one and the next one you kind of come up with okay well what's next do we want to do and kind of like let the adventures write or present options for the future so in a sense it's kind of a choose your own adventure without fully knowing or necessarily seeing so depending on the actions of the the party uh you have so let's say you create your first local area and so you have the party doing their thing they're doing their first few quests then depending on the actions of them could change things in the broader region or area or in other areas depending on what they're doing and the scope of everything so if you were to start with the details in the first area and everywhere else is just kind of broad or if you're using an existing setting like the forgotten realms then as they get ready to the point where they might go somewhere else or okay they need a new adventure you could also have it set up where it's like based off their previous actions so you don't necessarily have to write this huge epic saga uh, ahead of time um, if you want to and that's more your thing then feel free to fill your boots do it but uh, there are ways to do it without having to do everything else and still run your own homebrewed campaign now i will say this uh, the term homebrewed um, like obviously these are like could be weapons characters races any aspect of the game that's made on your own uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean they don't especially as a homebrewed campaign can follow all the exact same rules the only difference really between it and a published campaign is the published campaign is available to everyone and is published by dungeons and dragons and not just uh, locally created so it doesn't have to if you homebrew a campaign doesn't mean you have to make up all your own rules and everything else you can use all the resources and rules that are laid out to make things easier so it's just kind of you're picking the theme you're setting the stage 
all the props, all the background characters, everything else is already done for you. So at the beginning of chapter one, it talks about the big picture. And it says that the books, the player's handbook, monster manual, and the dungeon master's guide, the three core books you're gonna need for this game. So the player's handbook goes through all the rules and mechanics, uh, particularly, obviously, as in its name for the player characters, Dungeon Master's Guide on building the world, running the game, and then the Monster Manual uh, has majority of the creatures. Now, the other source books, especially like Molo's Guide to Monsters, starts to add in more and more, but the three core books are the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster's Manual. Now, again, I know there's lots of people, too, who... They may only have one of these or parts of them or they just kind of go with what they've learned over the years playing games and run with it nothing wrong with that so do what works best for you what's gonna what your party is up for uh, but for the purposes of this we're going through what the book has and so it states that there are some core assumptions that should be made for any world so one is that gods oversee the world and it goes on to say that gods are a real and embody a variety of beliefs, with each god claiming dominion over an aspect of the world, such as war, forests, or the sea. So this is where you get into your pantheons, and a key aspect of this is even if you don't necessarily want like religion in your game, uh, the thing is, in Dungeons and Dragons, being with its vast variety of characters, races, and classes, is there's going to be a wide variety of belief systems, and that doesn't mean you have to necessarily come up with all of them or use them all, uh, but if they're there, um, these are important aspects, at least as to what powers and stuff they grant to clerics, paladins, uh, even warlocks, where, well, they may not worship them, but they have a patron, so some sort of uh, supernatural being that grants them their power. So, not necessarily you have to get into too, too much detail, but at least make uh, enough information available or known uh, so that any any class that is playing, or sorry, any player who is playing any of those classes that rely on those aspects uh, have access to them. Also, it can create um, great things for like different uh, conflicts or points of action in the game, or even if you're like, oh, they're gone. So what do we do? Why did they leave? Anything like that. Um, but again, the level of depth and detail really depends on on the individual campaign and storytelling. Another core assumption it makes is much of the world is untamed. So lots of wild landscapes, um, very uh, sparsely populated, if populated at all, regions. Uh, another one is the world is ancient. It's been around a long time, has a lot of hidden secrets. Uh, conflict shapes the history is another assumption, and the other one that it goes into some detail on is the world is magical. Now, that doesn't mean every Dungeons & Dragons campaign has to make these assumptions. These are just the core assumptions that the book lays out, uh, but the next section it says it's titled, It's Your World. So you could have the world as a much more mundane place, similar to reality. Uh, you could have the world as known. Is it new? Is it, you know, ancient as before? The amount of gods if they're there is magic there is it common is it uncommon so there are a variety of those assumptions uh, that can be altered and aspects that you can altered uh, another part that it goes into too is like certain like more mythical creatures uh, either did they just 
just start appearing or did they disappear? So you can, the level and degree of fantasy in the game compared to reality, you can adjust on your own. You can use existing settings and make alterations to it. Uh, the nice thing is, is in Dungeons and Dragons, it has a multiverse. Uh, so you could have, you know, there could be countless campaigns all set in the Forgotten Realms, but each one, that realm is different. So it's just a parallel universe, and you could have it where it's that exact same landscape, geography, uh, past history, but it's now set in like a modern age, and let's say magic has fallen to the wayside, or mythical creatures have been hunted down, but now they're returning. You could put any kind of spin on either existing, or again, you can build everything from scratch. The choices are up to you. So while on the topic of deities and gods, there are a number of pantheons that you can use from both uh, human history, such as Greek, Norse, ancient Egyptian, uh, any pantheon. Also, there are pantheons in uh, existing Dungeons and Dragons campaigns and realms. The Dungeons, uh, the Dungeon Master Guide does have one. Uh, the Dawn War deities it lists out. And it's important that for any deities you have is to have an assigned alignment, uh, a domain perhaps, and then various uh, symbols for them uh, to, to make them more engaging, especially again if you're going to have clerics, paladins, uh, warlocks, and the thing is too, it's not necessarily just uh, isolated to them. Uh, any, any class, any race can have a belief that could be a strong part of them, even though they don't necessarily get any divine power or advantage to it, but just as breathing more depth into a character. Uh, it's it's another good aspect to put in and can create um, interesting mixes in, in the game. So the next part we're going to talk over about is the mapping your campaign. Now in the book, um, the sections that it gives uh, on this, and it starts on page 14 of the Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, it's the province scale, kingdom scale, continent scale, and then combining scales. Uh, so to make it easier for yourself and your players especially uh, to get an idea of where things are, how far things are from each other, uh, and a more sense of where everything is in relative um, distance and placing to each other in the world, uh, it's good to have maps of different scales. Because if you have one that shows the entire uh, province, region, whatever, it might make it harder to determine and see smaller details that are in between towns, forests, kingdoms, etc. Uh, so it does have suggested scales to be used. And one thing when mapping, um, and again, you don't have to stick to it, but what makes it easier when you're looking at much larger scaled uh, maps, such as the entire continent, uh, large regions, those sorts of things, using the hex uh, scale. So using hexagons for your map and saying one hex equals X number of miles, kilometers, whatever unit of measurement you decide to use. Uh, is easier for that uh, and then when you get into the more detailed so like street level in dungeons in particular buildings up close the squared um, scaling method makes it easier now that doesn't say uh, you can't use square for everything or hex for everything or vice versa but these are just uh, recommendations that have been made uh, but with everything if you find a way that works better for you or you want to just like well I'm gonna do it this way just to be different by all means, fill your boots, um, but this is what's been laid out to help, so if you're new to this and uh, to reduce any potential um, 
oddities or, or issues, uh, I would recommend following the suggested methods at least your first time when creating or at least modifying campaign uh, and then kind of figure out from, from the suggestions and what's in the books and then find out what works best for you. The next thing that follows that is settlements. So settlements, it states, the settlement exists primarily to facilitate the story and fun of your campaign. Other than that point, the settlement's purpose determines the amount of detail you put into it. Create one of the features of a settlement that you know you'll need, along with notes on general features. Then allow the place to grow organically and the adventurers interact with more and more of it, keeping notes on new places you invent. So while it may be in the spur of the moment, okay, yeah, they're going down the street, okay, you pop into a shop. Well, several sessions later and they're back in town, like, oh, we want to go back to that shop. It's good to know if you don't already have a detailed map of your town or at least a basic one. Uh, it's good to make note of where that is relative to other places and you can kind of build that settlement if you're just kind of building on the fly, build it uh, on, your, on the go. Or if you create or get a detailed map, you don't necessarily have to have every building designated ahead of time and then just label them as you go and as they get, they have, uh, sorry, as they get interacted with, with um, by the adventurers. So the Dungeon Master Guide then gives a little bit uh, description on, on things for settlements of different sizes. Again, you can modify this, um, but I do find it does make it easier and by sticking as close to, if not directly to these, it makes it easier when playing in different campaigns to understand when someone says a village, what to expect, a town, city, uh, etc. So for a village, as defined by the Dungeon Master Guide, uh, is a population up to a thousand. Uh, government is saying it's usually like noble ruling family. Uh, it also lists types of defense, commerce, and organizations. The next one it gives is a town, so it would be up to 6,000. Uh, then again, it lists out government, defense, commerce, and organizations. Cities, it says up to 25,000. And as, this, as these settlements grow, uh, the detail and complexity of their government, defense, commerce, organizations um, become more complex. They grow in size and scale. From that now again with the populations you could have much larger cities uh, you could have some variants uh, you could kind of have something too where it's similar to new york city and you have uh, different boroughs of the city uh, you could call you know you've got districts you can do quarters uh, it's up to you it depends on uh, everything with that community and its purpose um, but again when you're building especially on your own uh, sticking we're starting with at least smaller communities or uh, even if you wanted to do, okay, there's a large city, but it's not necessarily just the main focus of the game, or even if it is, uh, start with general ideas or like, okay, these blocks are merchants, these is a residential area. And then as areas are being interacted with, then you can start filling in more details or as your story is progressing, you're like, oh, this would actually make sense to have. You forgot there are ways to add it in without having to rewrite everything. But again, if you're one of those people who likes to have it all figured out ahead of time, uh, again, start kind of broad and then focus on each individual section and expand from there. Now in chapter one, it does go on uh, with many different types of governments. It gives diff uh, definitions of them. Uh, there's even a table where you roll a D100 to determine uh, which one you want to use if you don't have one in mind. Uh, 
they also have a sample for hierarchy of nobles. Uh, it goes into commerce and currency, gives lots of uh, suggestions on those and examples, uh, especially the currency that's used in Forgotten Realms, uh, which you can use, you can add to it, you can take away from it, you can create your own. Uh, it's all up to you. Uh, it also lists out languages and dialects, which again, looking at what races are in the area, going through the races in the Dungeon Master's, sorry, in the Player's Handbook, as well as information that's provided in the Dungeon Master's Guide and in the other source books, it helps fill in. Okay, so if you have Elvish settlements, okay, these are the languages. Or if you have uh, these types of human settlements, here are some more languages, etc. So you don't have to necessarily recreate or figure, oh, well, I don't know. Well, who are the players in the game? And I don't mean just your adventurers, but the NPCs, the cultures that are involved. Uh, so a lot of this is kind of like, as you start filling it in, it's like, oh, okay, well, this information is already provided in this book. Or, okay, I don't have that. Uh, you can ask people who have it, look for resources online, and start filling in the blanks from there. The other thing it goes on, and this adds more depth, layer, and complexity to your campaigns, is factions and organizations. So an example would be the Harpers, which are uh, prominent in the Forgotten Realms, uh, as well as the Lord's Alliance. So these could be large scale, like the Lord's Alliance is nation, uh, nations and city-states working together. Harpers is a much more smaller uh, structured organization, so they could be small, uh, made up of a few individuals, or they could be on large nation-level scales. Um, there are many to choose from, and you can obviously create your own that suits the needs. One of the uses of them too in the campaign Princes of the Apocalypse, uh, part of the start for your players, uh, you can choose to use this or not. It's up to you again as the Dungeon Master, uh, but it lists a number of factions who have various uh, interests in what's going on in the campaign, and you can have your players choose which ones that they individually have allegiance to or as a whole decide to help. So it adds uh, unique dynamics in uh, player uh, interactions with each other and those around them. So that's it for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to get into more detail about setting up your own dungeon uh, and that kind of thing. So a little bit more in depth, but still keeping it relatively um, basic for now. As I said, in season two, we'll get into the details and mechanics uh, season 2 is about mechanics and lore uh, of a lot of these aspects and then work with them then in, in that setting. Uh, but for next week, we'll be going into mostly focusing on uh, how to start your, let's say, we're going to call it creating a one-shot kind of deal, um, but like how do you start figuring out a dungeon, which is the basic setting uh, for many adventures, even if they're set in a much larger region, world, uh, anything like that. But dungeons are a key part of Dungeons & Dragons. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be a damp, dirty cave or underground, uh, but that's that's the general term that's, that's going to be used. I want to thank you all for listening, and until next week, keep those dice rolling.